Let's take our Bibles at this time and take up and read at 2 Timothy and chapter 3. Second Timothy 3, Paul writes from prison about and ready to be poured out as a drink offering, knowing the time of his departure is at hand, as he says in chapter 4, verse 6. There's an urgency about this instruction of which we'll speak, and may God grant us the same urgency and the quickness to hear what God would say to us as we read and then as we hear the word of God preached. Hear the word of the Lord. But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And from such people turn away. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women, loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, and always learning, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these always resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapproved concerning the faith, but they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all, as theirs also was. But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured. And out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you've learned them, and that from childhood you've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, correction for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete thoroughly equipped for every good work. Thus far we read God's word for such a time as this, the perilous times that are upon us now. And the word of God to which we would draw our attention in the preaching tonight is verses 14 and 15. But you must continue in the things which you've learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you've learned them. And that from childhood you've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Uh, beloved, the Apostle, as I said earlier, is ready to die for Jesus. He doesn't know that. We don't know exactly how he died, but he did die apparently at the hands of Nero and he was persecuted for righteousness' sake all the way, all of his apostolic ministry, and he then was martyred for the sake of Jesus Christ in the gospel. This one who persecuted the church and who by the grace of God alone was what he was, became a champion of truth to Jew and Gentile, gave his life for the faith, an example to all of us. He left behind him a legacy of inspired scriptures and of preachers and teachers like himself. And one of them is Timothy, whom he calls his son. Timothy is one he, he mentored in the faith and he gave tutelage to and an example to so that he might be a preacher and teacher like himself. Timothy, who would be the minister at Ephesus, Timothy, who was uh, young in the faith, apparently, but who was a man of God. And he's urged by Paul in many ways to, to 
be faithful. And he's urged at this time in these last words of Paul to him, we don't know if he spoke anything else to him or wrote any other letter, he urges him to continue in the things which he has learned and that he has been assured of knowing from whom he's learned them. To continue, that's what Paul says to Timothy. Continue on. Press on. Paul, with dying breath, as it were, has one thing to say to Timothy. Hold on. Abide. Continue. Be a preacher. And you live. And may your life be Jesus. And you die for Jesus' sake. And may you know the gain of heaven. Paul is especially mindful of the time of the fact that in the last days perilous times will come. That's the setting of all of this instruction. And he cites what I would call 19 uglies, 19 bad fruits of the perilous times, which are perilous and dangerous to people of God, especially. And in light of them, Paul says, it is incumbent upon you all the more, Timothy, that you continue, that you don't stray from right to the right or to the left, but you stay the course and preach the gospel no matter if people aren't wanting it, no matter if they're going down the street to another church and they're saying they are more friendly, they are more open to us and to anyone else, come as they may, regardless of their unholiness and so on. Timothy, press on. And believers who would hear the truth through Timothy, you press on and encourage him. You be hearers and then doers of the word, no matter what the cost. You're to be like those who are not of the times, but who were of God. You would be and you should be like those who remember what you've learned and who press on in the things you've learned. You'd be like those who love catechism and love the Bible studies and love to continue to learn the things of God and who love also to learn to live the righteous life, to live out of the education that you have had and to learn also in the doing of what it really meant when you were taught knee-high to a grasshopper. Now you know what it meant, that Jesus loves me for the Bible tells me so. And, and you learn these things. Oh, beloved, what if it were my last day here? What if it were, parents, your last days with your children? What would you say to them? Elders, deacons, others in the church leading. What would you say if you knew it was your last day or days? You'd never see him again. You'd never be able to talk to him again. I suggest that there's definitely one word you would need to say. You'd be moved by God to say, continue, son. Continue, daughter. Continue, church. And all those things you've learned and come to know and be assured of, the things of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we want to consider that tonight, learning for living in perilous times. Now, there's a lot of ways to exegete and to bring words out of this rich chapter, 2 Timothy 3. But this is the slant I would take at the occasion also of our beginning and rebeginning our official education and learning as people of God in this church. Living for learning and learning for living in perilous times. First of all, the primary education, that great thing of which Paul alludes to, was Timothy's great blessing. And then secondly, continuing education. It's like that is Christianity. You never get out of school. Then finally, Incentives for graduation. There is an end. There is an end to all the learning and the hard knocks and the tests of life and the trials. But I want to suggest to you that 
even in heaven, you go to school. And it's all good. And it's all wonderful. Well, beloved, Timothy is told by Paul and by implication, all of us. You must continue in the things which you've learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you learned them, and that from the childhood you've known the Holy Scriptures, able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Note the contrast between Timothy and everybody else in the perilous times. There's perilous times, and of them Paul speaks in the first part of the chapter, and then he makes a great distinction between those evil men and imposters who grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived, when he says, but you, Timothy, you're not a deceiver, you're not deceived and being deceived, you continue. And you continue in the things that you have learned and been assured of. Now, what is he talking about there? Well, we know that, don't we? The things of the Bible that God wrote down, inspired, and the things of the Bible that Paul was given to see as no other, apparently, in the New Testament, and so that much of the New Testament is written by Paul, by the inspiration of the Spirit. The things of God... Yes, those are the things. The things, all the truth, nothing peripheral, nothing secondary, as we would call them, as if unimportant and merely a parenthesis, and we can skip that chapter, we can skip that genealogy. It's all about God. The things of divinity, as the theologians and the churches called the things of God and of the Bible. It's divinity. All of the truth is God's truth and the truth of God. Who is God? The God who created the heavens and the earth and before that was still God. And not lonely, though there was nothing besides him, not even angels. God, the eternal God, triune Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, communing with himself in this great covenant family life, Father breathing after the Son in ardent love and the Son breathing after the Father in that communion and bond of the Holy Spirit. And into that we're taken up. That's what are the things that God has taught Timothy through Paul and through Lois's grandmother and his mother Eunice. The things of God's own life being given to us in his Son, the things of Jesus. The things of God so that virtues of God are somehow imparted to us and we're made wise who are once fools. We're made lovers of God and of good and of truth and of Jesus who are once haters of all of those things. We're made those who are patient. We're made those who have these virtues called fruits of the Holy Spirit, which wouldn't grow in our garden except God planted us and gave us to grow and to bear all the good fruits that show that we are of God. We are the vineyard of God and connected to the vine Jesus. This message and these things that Paul had taught Timothy was all about Jesus. Jesus who met with Paul on the Damascus road and said, Paul, Paul, why do you persecute me? Reminding him that he and his body are one like that. To persecute the body of Christ is to persecute Christ. How does that work? I don't know. How is Jesus affected by that? He's in the glory of heaven. I don't know. Except for this thing called empathy. And Jesus Christ, the head of the body, feels your pain and feels my pain. And he sends the Holy Spirit to be the great comforter besides himself, with himself, and they together, Father and Spirit, to lead us, or, or Son and Spirit, to lead us into the communion of the triune God, whom we call Father, for Jesus' sake. It's all about grace. These are the things that God has taught. Paul, the champion of justification by faith alone, which Luther said is the the thing on which the church stands or falls, you lose that, you lose grace, you lose Jesus, you lose the cross. You have that. It's because you know Jesus and because you know you're a totally depraved sinner and you need life from the dead and life from above and you cannot lift a finger to save yourself. 
the things divine of our life for God. Those are the things that Timothy learned. How to be holy, how to be wise. Proverbs was one of the books he was taught early on. Even, as the text says, from an infant, from an infant, you knew these things. He's taught them, and so do we. You teach your children, don't you? Don't say, no, you know, we're going to wait till they can read and write for themselves. Don't do that. You know, if we leave people to, or children to, to think, to, to do the, for themselves what they want, maybe even decide what sex they are, it's such folly. And as Christians, when we lead them by our making decisions for them, we're teaching them something of what God does. God leads us, and he chooses us, and our life is a response to his choosing and sanctifying of us. Just a bit of pedagogy there, and an incentive for us to remember that we are as God when we teach the children, and we don't leave it up to them. This is what you know, not what you must decide for. First of all, This is what is there, first of all, and yes, you must receive this. But this is what is the truth, and we're not going to be an up-for-grabs home. Well, beloved, all these things, all these gospel things, old and in the parts of the New Testament that were written there, and they, they weren't all written at this time. You should know that. They would be compilated with the Uh, books of the New Testament later on. But here in the making, Paul is teaching things uh, that Timothy uh, knew were worth learning. He learned them. And he's called to continue in them that he had learned. That's a perfect tense. You have learned these things. And that speaks to us of this wonderful thing called the covenant of grace. From a child, Timothy learned the things of the gospel, the things of God, the things of the God of the Jews, the God of the Gentiles, the God of Abraham, the God of creation, providence, and redemption. From a child, Timothy knew these things, and he'd been taught by the further education of the Apostle Paul of the things that are the things of Jesus Christ. The gospel of the blood of the Lamb shed for sinners the fulfillment of all the Old Testament types and prophecies. From a child, and learn them, therefore, and truly learn them as a disciple. This is what Timothy was. In a, it was a covenant home is being taught here. If you look back at chapter 1, you read the names of his grandmother Lois, his mother Eunice, and he called to remembrance, did Paul, the genuine faith that was in Timothy, which dwelt first in his grandmother Lois and in his mother Eunice. Amazing. Genuine faith in Lois, the grandmother, Eunice, the mother, and also now in Timothy. Genuine faith so that the learning could proceed. It was grace there with the learning wasn't just an intellectual thing, but such that he learned and learned at Jesus' feet. He's learning from Jesus through learning through Paul and through Lois and through Eunice. And he's learning so that he's assured. He's assured. That's faith. And our catechism reminds us that that's an element of faith. We know not only, but we are assured that all the things that are spoken of in the Bible are for me. And the God of salvation there of a people is the God who is my God. I know that. I I learned that from God. And it wasn't just there for reading, writing, and arithmetic, three R's. But with the reading and the writing and the arithmetic was the knowledge of righteousness and of the Redeemer, a five R education. That's what covenant education is about. You need to learn and to write and to read. It's important because this is our Father's world. We want to know about it. Maybe one day we'll be a chief scientist at NASA, whatever, or 
biochemist here or there, or an engineer, or maybe we'll just drive a truck, or just pound nails, and just lay bricks, and just do this, and some book work, just be a mother. I say just in jest, beloved, because all the callings of all of God's people are so precious, so precious. Are we in our ordinariness? Because God works upon and in the ordinary, the day-to-day things, those who are not the high and mighty to show his extraordinary grace. This learning is covenantal, is blessed, is the meeting of God, the teacher, the prime educator, and his elect people early on. He doesn't want to wait. Learn by this, Timothy, learning from an infant that God is the God of us and our children. And God doesn't say, now you have to grow a little while and then you got to choose for Jesus and, and enroll in some school and then you can get saved. No, this is the beauty of the grace of God shown to us and our children early on. God has us in school God has us on his knee. God has us learning everything that there is to know and adopting the education to our abilities, our intellect, our perspectives, our immaturity, or maturity. What a great God. And that was the primary education that Timothy had and that most of us have had. Haven't you? This is the first place you've learned in the covenant home as an infant. And this is what you've learned, the things of God. Before you could read or write arithmetic, you were learning to sing and learning to pray. And you were learning there was a sense of God in you. Maybe you were not so sensible of this sense of God, but it was there. And for most of God's people, that's how that works. There's this sense of the divine. There's this consciousness that you're not your own. And you haven't had this great Damascus Road experience, but you've had a mother's knee and in the crib and brought to church early on to worship God. You've had an education. And you've had God who's your mentor. And you've had teachers. And it hasn't been in vain. So that you've begun to live the learning In the primary school, the covenant home has been to live out the truth. And that's what can be seen here. I've seen it in the 10 years or so that I've been here. Some of you have confessed your faith. Several of you have confessed your faith. But before that, before that, I knew that there was Christ in you. And so did your parents. And we were so glad to see that. What great attitudes among the covenant people here. You learned something, and it was a learning that was a conversion, a daily conversion, a daily becoming more and more like Jesus. And coming to him yourself, you learned responsibility and that you must be responsible. Now you are called, and you who are growing and now an adult and becoming an adult, you are called to respond. You are called to do something with your learning and to live out the faith. And that's the first thing, and that is so precious. Primary education. The first education you have at the feet of God, learning before you're even allowed in school, learning before even you grow out of diapers, all these things. It's wonderful. And I say this, and I linger here, Because I didn't have this. I didn't have this primary education. I was raised in a non-covenantal home. A Christian home by name only. And it was pathetic. And I look back at that and I shake my head. I was angry at first when I was turned from that to Jesus. When I began to learn the things of heaven. Sometime in college... I was angry at that, but then I began to pity my parents because they themselves weren't taught so well either. 
And of course, they're responsible for the non-education, the up for grabs, anything goes education. You can just choose whatever religion you want. But then I knew, and I said to myself, Mitch, you know what? They're a part of this whole fallen world. And that's leads me to my second point as we learn what it is to continue. We continue on in fallen world, perilous times. This is what Paul says to Timothy. You've got to know this right away. Know this. In the last times, perilous times will come, the last days when Jesus has come and he's risen and so on. Perilous times, very dangerous. It will press upon you. There's all kinds of evil. You've got to continue on. I'm dying. I'm about to pour out my life as a drink offering to God. The God for whom I lived is now the God for whom I will die. doesn't matter. For to me to live has been Christ. To die will be gain. And I will gain the crown of righteousness because of Christ's righteousness and of the grace of God by which I am what I am. But continue, Timothy. You. You continue. You continue. And if you haven't yet grown up yet, and you're still in the primary education, the former, year, former years, by the call, continue. May there be work maturity and responsibility. Continue. You now believe. You now do the things that make for assurance and confirmation that you are a Christian. And that you are all for Jesus and not at all for yourself. And that you are not them of the perilous times. That you are a man of truth and not a deceiver and being deceived. That you are a man of uncompromise and not a man or a woman of compromise. That you know yourself, not only you know what's up and God is up and you know what's coming. And you know the word of God. And it's been and is and still will be the power of God unto your salvation and able to make you wise to salvation through faith in Christ. Continue. That means abide. That's a a beautiful thing for us to know this. Abiding. Abiding. That's what we're called to do. So we've had a primary education. We've learned the things of God. And really, there is no more. You've learned truth, and there is no more learning to do in the sense that now you're going to learn some new things. And we'll talk about that presently. But once we've learned, we've learned what we will learn, and we've learned the scriptures, and we've had this education And yes, there's, in a way, a lot more to learn and to appreciate of what we have learned, but it's not this new thing and another new thing and another new thing. See, once you've learned the faith, you know the faith. And there's not going to be another faith and another one and a better one or a different one or a different God or a different Jesus or a different creed even that you'll have to follow, though creeds do err. The Bible is clear. The, God, the Bible is the simple truth that we learn, even from an infant, for the praise of God. But we abide in that. We continue. And that's not simply to stand still. That's to grow, to grow in the knowledge of God. But what abiding means, beloved, is basically holding on to what we know and standing for what we know in Jesus because we know that that's what God says and that's all we need to know, what God says in Jesus. And we're not going to be as the Athenian philosophers always looking for some new thing, for a new slant on things. We're not going to be either as those in the perilous times, whom, if you look at this, are ever learning, verse 7, and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. 
You see, the difference between Christian learning from the Bible is that they learn, and they're not ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And this is what I'm trying to say here. Once you learn, you learn. And that's the truth, and you don't move on and learn another truth or something that is contrary to the truth. You've learned the truth. The truth has set you free. You stand now in the truth. You abide in it. But there's people, and there's people today, beloved, and this is the root of their problem. In the last days, there's perilous times because people don't have a mooring. There are ships tossed about by every wind of doctrine, and every truth that comes by is truth, which is no truth, not the word of God, but it's my take on things, and your take on things, and her take on things, and this philosophical club's take on things. You know what I'm talking about. We live in a world called the postmodern world. It's even after modernism, which denied that the Bible was the word of God. Now people are saying there's just no truth whatsoever except your take on things and my take on things. This is the world that Paul warns will come upon us. These are the days and the times that are perilous, and they are because of this root problem. Nobody knows the truth, nor cares. And they sing about the religion that they wish would be damned, that Christian religion which says, this is the truth, thus saith the Lord. I'm not moving, nor my family, nor my church and which is a pain in the conscience of everyone who says, well, let's just be tolerant and open-minded. Perilous times, and all the immorality is rooted in this. People are teaching that there's no truth, and they're always learning, and they're never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. It's kind of like a faddish thing, isn't it? Look what we learn here. And look what we learn from the Buddhists over here. Look what we learned over here from the Muslims. And look what we learn from this brand of Christianity and from the Tibetan monks and, and all of this stuff. And look what we've learned from ourselves. And look what I've learned from the, the homosexuals. They, they've taught me tolerance. And look what I've learned from these people who have suffered for their cause. And, and even though if their cause is how to save the whales or whatever. And so they're learning, and this is nice for them. This is good because it's a learning that doesn't stick, and it's a learning that doesn't oblige them to anything because they're going to learn something new. And maybe the thing they learned is the opposite of what they learned yesterday, and the thing that they thought would oblige them to live according to is now there's another perspective that somebody has, and even a religious perspective that says, you know, I'm free to do what I thought I wasn't free to do, Beloved, maybe I'm sounding confused here, but I'm speaking on the behalf of the confused. That is, speaking as one who knew what it was like to be confused and now ministering in a college university that is very confused because the most confusing people are those who once had the faith, even the Reformed faith, and said, no, we don't want it. That's not important anymore. Just getting things done in this world. That's what's important. Forget what Jesus has done for now. We'll get to that later. But let's just make this world a better place to live. I'm more tolerant and more peaceable and, and on and on. And you don't have to worry about this thing called the faith of our fathers. And what you've learned, Timothy or college freshmen, this is what they're teaching at that university down the road, and, and not just them, I'm blasting every single liberal institution that goes by the name of Christian. They're saying to Timothy, they're saying to whoever else is now there and sitting at their feet, and ah, they're all wide-eyed and they're going to learn. You just forget what mom and dad taught you. You just forget that. Well, it's good. I'm glad that you have that support. But now here's something new. And we found this in all the books, and after all, your folks, they were just kind of like, 
old school and, and kind of silly in their traditions and in speaking of a literal creation. Yeah, they don't need that. We've come a long way. Let's be more nuanced with the text. That's the word, nuanced, which means fresh and different. And not from the perspective of an old aunt's, like a text, interpreting a text with a text. But let's come with our own findings, our own geology, our own paleontology, our own physics, and we'll tell you how to explain truth. And let's come now with something that's much more enlightened than the first century Paul was about women in office or about homosexuality. Paul, wow, he had a lot of prejudice in him. But we're of better minds now. And we have 2,000 years of sociology and psychology and civilization and common grace. And we and the world have come a long way, baby. And we know now what it is to be a loving people. Now, oh, beloved, perilous times means you continue on despite all the smiley faces and all the deception that says you can't really know the truth. One truth. Learn with us something new. Continue on. Continue on in the scriptures and continue on in them and live by them. This is a part of continuing. If you would continue and if you would continue to live in the things, in the things of God, you must live in the things of God. This is an exhortation. Live not as those who live by truthlessness. Live in the truth. How do those who live by truthlessness and anything goes live? How do they live? Well, they love themselves, verse 2. They love money. They're boasters. They're proud. They're blasphemers. They're disobedient to parents. They're unthankful. They're unholy. They're unloving. They're unforgiving. They're slanderous. They're without self-control. They're brooder, despisers, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And then this, having a form of godliness but denying its power. They're in the church, you see, for all their truthlessness and they're all of their ungodliness. Nevertheless, among some, even many, and we're seeing this, there is this kind of religion, the religion of the tolerance, the religion of being free but not hurting anybody, they see. What does it matter to you if I'm a man and I marry a man, and you're a woman and you marry a woman? What does that matter to you? It's not hurting anybody. I'm learning the religion of tolerance, and I've learned that, and I had to unlearn everything my folks taught about this thing called holiness and one way to heaven. But never mind, I'm feeling good about myself looking forward to the wedding day. You live not like that. And beloved, if we would continue on in the things we learned and then really learn what we learned, in life's experience, learn by living. We would not live that way, but we would do something that the apostle says must be done. From such people turn away, verse 5. That's it. Have no fellowship with them. Now, I know you can't be in this world and run away from the world. Jesus says even, no, I I'm not going to pray that you're taken out of the world or down into a monastery down the street. But there must be this disfellowship. We must not bear at all with these people, that is, tolerate them for a moment in the church, in our homes, in our lives, in our fellowship. Yes, we can befriend people in this sense. We desire to come alongside of them, as the saying is, so that we can tell them of Jesus. 
We will help them if they are laying by the side of the road. We will give them a cup of cold water in the name of Jesus. We will bandage them up. We will not look down the nose at them and think that we are better than them by nature. We are not. We are what Paul was by the grace of God alone. But we will not have fellowship with them. We will not marry them. We will not date them because that's foolishness. We will be a pillar and a rock for them. And if they ever are moved in by the Holy Spirit, may God use us to befriend them then. Now, beloved, that's what living the antithesis is all about. That's the big word here. Abiding in the truth is holding to it, and it's separating ourselves from all the ungodliness and living antithetically against it talking to one of the students at the college down the road, which is exhibiting the gay pride banner of some warped rainbow. Isn't that disgusting? The sign of the covenant of grace to Noah and to the, to the, to the creaturely world and to his people in Christ, besmirched as if this is what the gays banner is. The unhappy people's banner is. The unnatural people's banner is. How pathetic that is bad and evil. And we are to have nothing to do with that. Certainly not to say we support you and your choices. And we, we're not homophobes and therefore we're, we're homo lovers and, and you do what you want. How evil. Beloved, the only way that people are helped is by the truth of God. By the Jesus of God. By being in people's faces sometimes. Even nicely. Even with a smile. Even with an empathy and a desire to reach them for Jesus. And no pride. But truth it must be. And we cannot be doing that and witnessing to these kinds of people if we're just going along with them. We must turn away from them. And that means, beloved, sometimes turning off the things by which the world comes into our houses, into our ears, before our eyes on the Internet. I dare say that our continuing on as a church needs people to continue on without as much internet, without as much uh, entertainment and amusement. We are amusing ourselves to death. We need to be those who are sharp and who are thinking and who attend to the word of God. We need to be a church people. We need each other. This is all about Timothy. He's to bring the word to the church, and he is doing this as he himself is an example. And we ourselves will be this way as we are examples to our children. Much more could be said about that, but now incentives. There are incentives that are given here and there in the text and context, and I want to bring them to you. And I want to bring them to you, beloved, because we need incentives. Education's hard enough, learning something you don't know, and memorizing things you don't know, and hearing the word of God maybe for the first time that's brought to bear on your sin, that's tough. And life's education is hard when you try to live it out. It's tough. And Paul reminds them that all who will live godly will suffer persecution. And all who are those who would live an uncompromised church life are the churches that usually are not the most popular churches. And so we can say, no, what is going on here? There's no success to the word. But we need to be believing there is, for sure, God's spiritual fruit, as here. Now, beloved, the incentive is, first of all, that Timothy and we know the things or, or know the ones we've learned them from. You must continue in the things which you've learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you've learned them. 
Now, what's Paul talking about that now there? Some say that there's several people that are indicated here. Paul himself, Timothy was mentored by Paul. Grandmother Lois, Mother Eunice, to be sure. Could have been other people, other godly mentors in the church that, that taught Timothy. And others think that, no, there's only one, it's only a singular verb here. There's different readings of different manuscripts so that there's only one person who is the teacher and maybe it's Paul. Beloved, I would commend to your attention that I think that Paul is speaking here of all the ones from whom he ever learned the things of the gospel and especially one person or one God from whom he learned them. And that's the point. Timothy, here's how you know how to go on. And here's the incentive. You know all of this learning, and you're a learned boy become man now, and learned minister, and you've been to seminary. This is what we'd say to ourselves. And that's the primary education. Now you're learning by life, and sometimes by life's hard knocks. And Timothy, I want you to remind yourself who your teacher's been. When your mother taught you, when your father taught you, when your grandparents uh, supported you in your education of your children, you dropped them off and they're saying the same thing mommy is or daddy is, good thing. And they're spanking as well as mommy and daddy, and I can't go here to get away from that. In all of that learning, in that cooperation and support of one another, we're learning God who's teaching us. Because maybe we've never had a mother and a father who've really taught us. Oh, beloved, if you've been taught of God in the primary thing, the great things of the gospel, you've been taught of God. And that's the one from whom you've learned him. Jesus says, come unto me, all ye that are meek and lowly, and, and I will give you rest. And learn of me, he says in so many words. Learn of me. And that's who we learn from. Remember Jesus. Know that educator. Who's your Savior? Who's your Lord? Who's your Master? Who's your everything? Know the truth as it is in Jesus. And as you're doing the hard work of catechism and memorizing, the kids are saying, I don't know about this, Mom and Dad. I'll never get this down. And Reverend Dick, he's being kind of hard because he wants us to do some things called memory. And I thought this was the easy thing, catechism. I thought, wow. Spiritual things shouldn't be academic things. Love it. Don't make that separation. Spiritual things can be academic things. Academic things can be spiritual things. Remember, as Christians, it's not just let go and let God, but it's being renewed by truth in your mind. The minds of children are sought after by the devil. You, beloved, be used of God to work in the minds of his children. So they think, and they memorize, and they take to heart. And they don't have the mind of the world, but the mind of Christ. But this is all Jesus teaching. And so we remember the truth that God holds us in his hands for Jesus' sake. I've learned of Jesus. I've been saved by Jesus. Jesus, I was taught, holds his people in his hands. And now here I'm walking along and I'm learning he's holding me in his hands. Learn the truth as it is in Jesus. Learn those scriptures and trust them all the more as you find that, yes, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And all scripture is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be mature or complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. Learn that living is living by the Bible. And this is that book which is able to make you wise unto salvation. Beloved, that's what this book is all about. And this God is all about. And the final incentive is all the evil 
all the evil people and all those deceivers and those who are like Janus and Jamres who resisted Moses and they don't want you out of Egypt. All those people who have an agenda, they do. They don't want you out of Egypt. They want you under Pharaoh. They're Janus and Jammers. They're magicians. They would hoodwink you and me into thinking that they are the ones who bring the truth. All those people, beloved, they're going to be put to naught. And Paul reminds Timothy of this. They will proceed no further. They're disapproved concerning the faith, but they're only going to go so far as the leash of God will let them. And their folly will be manifest to all as theirs. Janus and Jambres always was. But we will carry on. They will stop. We will carry on. And one day, beloved, after the primary education and after all of the learning and living, we're going to graduate. Oh, that'd be great. You finally get to graduate from all the schooling. Then you really begin to live in heaven. Because heaven is when you really graduate. When you die, or when Jesus comes, whatever's first, graduation. What a celebration that will be. We'll not only then be able to change the tassels on our hats, but we'll be changed. And we will be those bloodied and bruised and battered, but now glorified, who bend the knee to the great educator, the great Savior, our faithful God, revealed in Jesus. Press on, beloved. Press on. Be committed. And if this were my last breath, though it's not, apparently, that's what I'd say to you. You say that to your children. Continue. Continue in the things you've learned. Amen. We pray, Father, that you would bless us. Oh, and bless the stammering of the preaching and the, the hearing so easily distracted. May we continue on, we and our children, and the church, the great educational ministry that she is engaged in, the bringing of truth, the shaping of minds, the giving and the working of faith by the Holy Spirit, working through the truth, so that, Father, there might be wisdom here, the power of God unto salvation through faith in the last day in Jesus Christ. Bless us all, and may we know that you are faithful, you will never let us go, and that our life is not about passing tests as if we merit something. Our life is about clinging to Jesus, who is our all. In his name we pray, amen.